the warmest of greetings to you and welcome to Happily Ever Teaching. This is the podcast to help you enthrall your learners in every subject under the sun using the best teaching method known to science, storytelling. To do this, we feature special guest educators who are passionately keen for your children to become amazing and successful human beings. I am storyteller Chip Cahoon, and with me today is... Hi, my name's Rob. I work in Key Stage 2 in a school in Buckinghamshire, and I've taught all the way from Year 3 up to Year 6. Hi, I'm Helen. Um, I am also a teacher in Buckinghamshire, and I'm currently teaching Mixed Reception Year 1. And today we are exploring English learning outcomes with a retelling of Hans Christian Andersen's classic, The Little Mermaid. You can listen to the story by downloading our sister podcast, Fables and Fairy Tales, or search our website, epictales.co.uk, for The Dancing Mermaid. There you'll find a video of me telling the story that you can share with your children. And if you sign up as an epic educator, you'll also get a copy as an ebook or paperback illustrated by the magnificent Mario Coelho, as well as the full audiobook for you to download at any time. There are even some tips there for telling the story yourself and a whole heap of resources to go with the lesson ideas we're about to discuss, including any extra lesson ideas that we don't have time to fit into this podcast. Right now, though, let's continue our discussion with Rob and Helen here. And I deliberately put your name first there, Rob, because, of course, um, there is something of um, an English theme to this. Uh, well, I, I should say a language theme because it's not necessarily English. A punctuation theme. Yeah, There's yeah. a punctuation <laughs> theme in this story. Um, we did choose this story specifically to explore one particular area of uh, the key stage two curriculum um for for literacy so um w- would you like to tell us more about what that actually is sure it's uh, it's commas no no it's not commas <laughs> um, <laughs> i was wondering where you were going with that then <laughs> um first activity That's what we got... call a dramatic comma yeah <laughs> the first activity for English that I've come up with I'm calling whose line is it anyway (laughs) Um, (laughs) (laughs) and it's all to do with speech marks because there is an awful lot of speech in here and there are a lot of examples where we know when the mermaid is talking because the droplets of water are put onto the tongue it mentions that at the beginning of the story when it's talking about the elements Mm -hmm. Um, so it's it comes in kind of year four it's you might have some exposure to it in year three but definitely in year four how to use speech marks what they look like how you should use them properly uh i know this because i've done it recently with my class um and the way that a piece of writing changes if it doesn't have uh speech marks in how it becomes more confusing to read Mm. um and i think there's a whole lot on um kind of the the language that you can use around speech as well so part of the curriculum is finding alternative ways of saying said um Ah. now yes um because we we want our children to become uh descriptive writers and to be able to describe lots of different things um say thinking about all different kinds of ways that you could write said whispered muttered yelled gargled squeaked all kinds of things the reason for the big cheesy grin that's on Rob's face at the moment, I should explain for <laughs> Helen and everybody who can't see, is that Rob and I have discussed this previously. Um, and 
if you end up on any sort of creative writing course or, or even in any editing room as an author, one of the first things you are taught is stop using alternatives to said. It's <laughs> such a primary school thing to do. But the thing is, if you if you read any novel or, or, or any short story even, authors don't care about how often they use the word said. It's, it's seen as something of an invisible word. And the moment you start using words like, as, as Rob mentioned there, muttered, yelled, gargled, and, and all of these other um, supposed alternatives to said, it really makes the author's voice come out maybe more than you than you'd want to um people start hearing the author more than just getting lost in the story or, or picking up on the voices of the characters so a lot of editors and agents um if they're presented with a manuscript full of all of these alternatives to said they will actually um start putting red marks all the way through it so it's it's interesting that we encourage children so much to to use them but i, I guess it's part of in- encouraging them to find their own voice isn't it find yeah, what, yeah. what works for um, them and for that it is useful but by the sounds of it if we want our children to become authors in the future we need to <laughs> need to get them tell them expressly said yeah yeah <laughs> and spelling it correctly not s-e-d yes definitely yeah yeah <laughs> Well, I suppose it, it means that if, if we have any aspiring authors or writers, we, we should definitely encourage them towards um, courses in creative writing or journalism or, or whatever it be. And, and don't let them perceive those as unnecessary sort of arty-farty courses. Definitely. <laughs> There's a nice outdoor activity um, related to these speech marks uh-huh. that you could do with, you know, depending on the class and depending on what you're doing, you can start to introduce speech marks sort of end of year two-ish if you want. But okay. even this would work in Key Stage 2 as well. So because it, the story talks about droplets of water, I would be inclined to take the children outside and get them to write what is said with chalk and then use droplets of water either side to create the speech marks. Ah. Um, and that way they're, yeah, they're outdoors and they're taking the idea from the story and they're mm-hmm. putting it onto their writing outdoors yes and you you could even use um liquid chalk to do that couldn't you there is such a thing as liquid chalk yeah oh is there i'm I'm pretty sure there is oh it sounds good i'm i'm going with it i believe you tell me more (laughs) (laughs) well i'm I'm sure i've i've come i've definitely come across pens that have um a kind of liquid form of chalk in they're they're the kind that um restaurant owners use to to decorate on on their chalkboards um to make them a bit thicker and fuller than um just a, a regular piece of chalk might look still possible to to get rid of them um whether or not you can actually get the liquid without getting the pen i don't know mm. but some some other former kind of temporary ink would temporary be good, something I guess. yeah yeah <laughs> something like that yeah <laughs> especially if you wanted to do it outside on your school playground yes must be removable so what was your idea then rob for um helping your classes age seven to eleven to kind of grasp their use of speech marks a way that I've found to do it is to um, give the children a piece of text that they're familiar with from from a story that they're familiar with. It could be from this one. It could be from one that they've studied in class or in guided reading mm. and just remove all the speech marks from it. Get mm. them to read through it. First of all, does it make sense? Why doesn't it make sense? Get them to identify the facts that the speech marks have gone and then get them to rewrite passages of it with the speech marks back in so that they can clearly see 
where they go, how they go, which bits you yeah. need to put within the speech marks. Um, mm-hmm. And then following on from that, the next day I would, using the same book or text, get the children to create a dialogue between two of the characters from mm. the story, but make sure they've got all the speech marks in place as well. Yeah, there are quite a few moments in the story where you could let them do that um, to try and um, punctuate it to make it clearer. But obviously, if you were to do that in those moments, it would completely change the story. So that that might be a, yeah. a, a good way to explore alternative <laughs> endings and things with, with your children as well, is to pick a point, start putting some of the speech marks in, um, and then rewrite the ending, see where it goes from there. Kind of like turn to page 57 if you want this ending to happen or page yeah. 43 <laughs> if you want this to happen. Yeah, calling on the uh, the consequences theme we talked yeah. about yesterday. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, I came up with a couple of other uh, activities to do with English as well. One was to do okay. with, there's quite a lot of, there, there are loads, in fact, there are an enormous quantity of adjectives used ah, within yes. the tale. So to identify them would be, a good challenge for the children i've just got a bit that i found here about the when the mermaid sees the boat for the first time mm. it's so smooth and polished but strong and sturdy there's a woman's head made of wood carved into the front and it's just the descriptive language in it is incredible mm. and it really does help paint the picture of what the mermaid can see because it's the first time she's seen all these things now most well, i can say most with a caveat <laughs> most people will know what a boat looks like they'll have had experience either in person or seeing them on screen what a boat looks like yeah. but a mermaid hasn't so she is describing it to us for the first time yeah um so it's kind of got two bits this activity so the first one would be to identify lots of different adjectives but then when the mermaid first comes up as well and she sees the clouds and the birds and things she describes them without knowing the name to start off with yeah so set your children the challenge of describing things in the classroom without saying this is a chair for example but yeah can you describe what it is so you've got to use effective adjectives to do that mm-hmm. so that other people can work out what you're talking about and it kind of links into uh, part of the poetry area of the english curriculum as well where you have to think about riddles and rhymes as well is uh, that the kennings y- yeah 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 so just to really get them to focus their descriptive language rather than Mm. oh it's quite big (laughs) which (laughs) isn't that descriptive (laughs) (laughs) and part of the fun of this for me writing the tale is you know trying to think about how well as you said a mermaid who's never seen this before but also a mermaid who comes from uh, you know a very particular part of the world so yeah we we talk about her um feeling that the goldfish in her belly instead of butterflies because of course she's never encountered a butterfly um and she looks up through the the surface of the water and sees things that look like fish with very hard noses yeah. um oh, i like that bit, yeah. around the space and <laughs> um, because yeah she she's trying to describe them using language that's available to her and if you um encourage your your classes to do the same to to put themselves in 
a particular um, frame of mind. So it doesn't necessarily have to be that they're living under sea. But we, uh, Bex and I looked at another story recently uh, around the Epic Tales website called Urashima and the Underwater Kingdom. And in that one, it's not just a question of um, being on land and trying to describe things under the sea, but it's also being in the past or from the past and trying to describe things in the future. So right. taking the language yeah. of one era and applying it to another. I wonder whether it whether you could do something because I had a similar activity for Key Stage One in terms of uh, describing you know riddles and describing things without saying their name. But mm-hmm. just um, listening to you talk there, Chip, I wonder whether it'd be possible to to help the children a bit with that is to find something that they might not have seen before. Oh, so something from a different time or a different culture, something a bit unusual to them that they mm. then have to describe using what they know because maybe that would be a bit more like the mermaid mm. seeing things on land like she hasn't seen them before so instead of getting the children to describe something they already know as if they don't know it maybe you could present them with some unusual creatures or mm. or objects so you could you could sort of flip it on its head and and find find some under the water underwater creatures very unusual creatures that they've probably never seen before you know from the depths mm-hmm. um and see if the children can write riddles and can describe those not knowing what they are if that makes sense yeah yeah the old um, platypus conundrum yes yeah <laughs> that, that was first discovered yes certainly and the world of mini beasts is a fantastic one to mine for this as well if you take some of the um yeah the lesser known bugs and blow them up um not so literally okay. Not, yes. not literally. Yeah. Just <laughs> no, magnify. No mini beast shall be harmed. <laughs> do you have anything else for ages four to seven for us, Helen? Um, I do. So I had the the kind of riddle idea, which we've talked about, and then I had sort of a bit more of a project idea, um, kind of around non-fiction report writing, non-chronological report writing. Um, uh-huh. A way that I found is good to do non-chronological report writing with sort of year one, year two is to use a mythical creature or a creature the children have made up themselves because then the facts or the facts or what they don't know doesn't get in the way of the writing, if you see what I mean. So sometimes <laughs> yeah. if you say to the children, oh, write a non-chronological report about um, about elephants, but actually they don't know much about elephants, it can they can get stuck. So what I've done in mm. the past is get the children to create their own creatures or use a mythical creature that they can add their own facts to if that makes sense because then they just end up with a lot more to write um so i had this idea about the children creating their own mythical creature with um because apparently now do correct me because you know i i've been trying to find this out and it may be wrong (laughs) apparently there's an early legend about how mermaids came to be that involves the assyrian goddess Atargatis. And for some reason, I think it was a sad reason, she threw herself into a lake to take on the form of a fish. But what happened was the waters didn't want to hide her beautiful face, so they only let the bottom half of her become a fish. Ah. Um, so I found a few a few different websites that told this tale, so I hope it's not complete nonsense. Um, <laughs> it's, it's a beautiful story. Anyway, I must yes. admit, I've never heard it before, but it, it's um, the, from the fact that there was a, a, a bit of Greek that you had to struggle to pronounce there, I think we can say that it was probably legitimate. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Um, so I thought what might be quite, it would be a bit of a project rather than a lesson, would be to mm. introduce the children to this this idea, this, this um, myth, this legend, and then get them 
to create their own creatures. So ah. say to them, so if you plonked yourself into a pond and were merged with, or, uh, or the sea and were merged with another creature, what would you look like? Um, so you start off by creating this image. Um, I thought you could start off with photos of the children's top half on a piece of paper. Then they could turn themselves into, you know, <laughs> octopus or shark or a uh, seahorse or jellyfish or all, all of those other things. Um, so then they've created their own mythical creature and and from there you do the you do all kinds of work around it artwork and everything but if we focus on english um you then you <laughs> could do the non-chronological report writing um gotcha. and i often use um when i when i'm teaching a genre um with year year one and two more than reception but reception to a certain extent um i often have like a model text for them to learn the genre so you could have a model text about a mermaid, a non-chronological report about a mermaid written for the children, which they would find interesting because they all like mermaids at this point. <laughs> and then they learn about non-chronological reports and all the features, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And then they plan and they write their own report about their own creature they've invented. And because they've invented that creature, they're more invested in the writing and they're more yeah. confident because actually no one could tell them that the facts that aren't wrong. true. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> um, I thought you'd have a lot of fun, fun with that creating some other mythical undersea human slash sea creature type things could you um just thinking about that potentially also use the bog babies book with that fit in helen because they're kind of made up made up undersea things yeah you could you could use the bog babies and with so um a book by gene willis one of my favorite books (laughs) as rob knows um (laughs) about mythical little mythical creatures that live live in ponds Ah. yeah Fantastic. I must admit, I, you, you educated me, Helen, as a, a, a classic of children's literature that I didn't know about and a classic of, of Greek literature. Oh, there you go. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> We're all learning today. We're all learning. No, the uh, Bog Babies book is a beautiful one. It's one of my absolute favourites. Just the, the whole story is very magical and the illustrations. Um, I've used the book as a, a project. Um mm-hmm. We do a mantle of the expert at school and I've used it as a project for that. And the children that I taught still talk about it now. They're in now in year. We did it in year beginning of year one, I think. They're now nearly year three and they still they still when they see me, they still talk about bog babies. It's a beautiful <laughs> book. You should look it up. Ah, excellent. I will. That's sadly all we have time for today, folks. We'd love to hear your thoughts on everything we've discussed in this podcast, so please find us on social media using at Teach Happily or leave us a review using your favourite podcast app. You can also use social media to let us know if there's a subject you are soon to teach that you'd like us to cover. We would love to help. Please also share this podcast with your colleagues and help us start a story-led revolution in classrooms around the world so children everywhere can learn in a way that's effective, memorable and enjoyable all at the same time. Tomorrow, the young mermaid will help us teach maths. But right now, it only remains for us to say cheerio, and we hope to hear your story soon. So, cheerio, and we hope to hear your story soon. soon.